Hey, Straight Talk on Leadership listeners. This week's episode will be the finale, part three of Dean and Kelly's conversation on what's next, the aftermath of the Derek Chauvin guilty verdict. Thank you for listening. So sit back, relax, and get ready to change your life. Hi, I'm Dean Chris. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, be ready to change your life. We spent a good bit of time talking about this. We spent a good deal of time talking about the state of law enforcement. Hope everybody's enjoyed that because I certainly <laughs> think there's some things that need to be said there about what we're doing. Now let's talk about path forward and how do I believe that some leaders, uh, how we as a profession need to move forward. And you know what? I think it'd be a good idea if we get some guests on here too, some other chiefs and people in profession. Ask Absolutely. Them what their thoughts are. Because I think this is a topic that needs to be discussed for the next couple of weeks, but we'll we'll, we'll work on that. But Mm -hmm. one of the things I want to do is I I want to I want to talk about and I just want to talk about what I think would actually work when it relates to change. And there's there's several things you have to do to change your organization, change your mindset, but also change who you are. And one of those things is that, you know, you and I both have read Atomic Habits probably a couple of times. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't read that book, I'd recommend reading that book. It's a great book. But you know what he says that one of the key things uh, you, you can't you can we can't see, see it. it. Yeah, never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, one, one of the things one of the things that uh, he talks about in that book is that if you're really going to change yourself, you have to change your identity. You have to, have to actually change who you are and how you see yourself. So, you know, I'm a firm believer in law enforcement. We literally always remember that if we need to go to guardian, I mean, need to go to warrior, we can do it in a second, but we need to be thinking like a guardian mm-hmm. and we got to change our identity for the community of who we actually are. And there's a number of issues out there. And I know they're all, you know, some of, but, but I'm going to try to walk people through this kind of three-step process that I believe is really going to help us. Then I'm going to go over kind of things individually, each one of them to kind of give people an idea of what I'm talking about. And the first thing we got to do is, we literally have to wisely manage or lead with a new set of values and ideals that match today's world. Now, you know, that, that's kind of like, if you look at this entirely, you might say, oh my God, this is so difficult to do. This is so hard. To, yes, it is hard to do, but guess what? I'm going to give you uh any chief out there, any leader that thinks this is more difficult to change the ideals and values of what they have, I'm going to point to one or I'm going to point to one entity. It's not it's not one entity. It's actually five entities. But I'm going to point to them to where they've led the, the, the way on change of ideals and values is United States military. United States military does not do business like it used to do business. We right. used to go in and shoot them all and let God sort them out. If you look at the Vietnam War, we indiscriminately bombed Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, everywhere. 
right. like crazy and didn't care how many people it killed the villages. Iraq changed that for everybody where we literally, there's a thing called the VUCA world, which means that it's volatile. It's kind of unsettling, unpredictable. It's kind of uh, constantly evolving and it's ambiguous, meaning that you mm -hmm. really may not have all the answers. And the, they took on this VUCA thing around 1991, where they literally had to change the way they do business. They used to just go in and take everybody out. Now they have to go house to house to house, individually going in and being wary of collateral damage. Right. And so you're talking about changing the ideals. So we need to change our ideals. We need to really look at a new value system for us. And I'm not talking about losing honesty, integrity, and all those things. But I, And I'll tell you more about those in a minute. The second thing it is, and this is hard for cops, we got to selectively forget the past. Mm. And there are things about law enforcement. There are things about things we used to do. We got to selectively forget those. You're not ever going to do them again. You're, you're not going to be able to do some of the things. You're not going to be able to have roll calls where everybody goes out and has fun and we haze or I don't need to use the word haze, but pick on the rookies and, you know, uh, go out and, and, and all those things. And a lot of things we needed to lose, but you're not going to see that those things that uh, you're just not going to see those, you, you know, law enforcement has to selectively forget the past and don't cling to the fact that the good old days, you know, I mean, we really got to kind of change some of that. And, and I'll talk more about those in a minute. Some of those are devastating to law enforcement. We got to forget those and move forward. And then I believe we got to purposefully create the future means that we literally have to create the future on purpose. And I always say to people, if, if you want to determine, if you want to predict the future, there is one simple way to predict the future, create it. Mm -hmm. And if you create the future, you can predict it. So anyway, I, and I want to talk about those three things for just a minute. When I yeah. talk about wisely manage or lead kind of our value system, one of the things that we have to adapt is an understanding that Feelings are first and facts are absolutely important and vital, but we have to find a way to connect to what's going on in our agency. We can't just be so linear that only the facts matter. Yes, they're important. Yes, we should wait on them. Yes, we should do due process, all those things that we should do, but we got to find a way to explain things to people and talk to people and, and, and make them feel like, they have a voice where we're at, you know, the second thing, uh, the, the other thing is transparency. We're, we're doing that pretty good. Now we're releasing videos pretty quickly. Uh, although in North Carolina, they've got this uh, little bit of an archaic law that you can't release a video until a judge allows you to release it. And I oh, think wow. that's a little archaic. Mm -hmm. Well, that was in response to these videos going out and people leaking them and all that stuff. But that's really archaic. I mean, in North Carolina, they better realize that videos need to get out because you can bet you might have a video, but somebody's got a cell phone taking a video and you yes. want the real story out there, not the, the one that's yes. got two fragments of what the truth is. And so the other thing is we literally have to embrace procedural justice. And, and what that really means is cops doing what they should do, not what they can do and being more, more cause oriented, not action oriented. And procedural justice is the reason people give away their rights is because they will give up freely. If they believe what you're doing is procedurally just based on law. 
you know, so they'll do it. But it, and it amazes me as I go around the country and I talk about the subject of procedural justice sometimes, how many cops really don't know what that is. Yeah. And uh, and it's not because they don't know they live that, but they've never had anybody really say procedural justice is what we're literally going to do. You know, why don't you explain that? Literally have to rule. Explain that real quick for the for some of us like me, the civilian listener that's pretty pretty intelligent, but think I know what it is, but I may not. So well, procedural justice is just what I said. It it means that you follow the procedure of the law based upon the interpretation of the law because you should do it, not because you can't. Mm -hmm. It's like going out and it's like writing a ticket. You know, you write a ticket. If you, if you literally look at writing a ticket, the, the job of a police officer is first of all, is to prevent that behavior from reoccurring because it may cause an accident, right? right. A cop writes you a speeding ticket because he knows when you get in a car and go down the road, you're going to stop speeding. Yes. So in essence, they believe they're, you know, protecting, stopping the behavior. Well, we should write tickets because we want to educate. We want to, enforce and we want to make sure that the public complies with it not because we want uh dollars in our bank account for the cities or the counties of the state so when you're procedurally just you're doing it because you should write the ticket not because your council or town managers come to you and said we need more revenue right you know and that happens in some states yes yeah or the fact is that when a person resists now here's an example like use of force policies all around the country are strict but flexible in most cases and a use of force policy would say that if a person resists you have the right to you know produce the amount of force that's necessary to you know stop or eliminate the 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 force well that would be like if you were getting ready to handcuff someone and they just flinched or they just said hey hold on hold on just a second and you literally knocked them to the ground and jumped on top of them and had, you know, two cops on and you handcuffed them. You literally can write that report and say, I felt a person resisting, felt like I was in jeopardy. And then I took them to the ground. Well, procedurally, your law might say that, but was that justified? You know, right. and you have a lot of states right now, like California, the use of force is, is uh, not reasonable anymore. It's called necessary, which mm-hmm. means is that force necessary? Right. And so so when you look at those things, it kind of gets a little nutty, crazy, but like do it because you should do it, not because you can. I and, gotcha. And that's where. Yeah. And that's procedural justice. And and people will give up their rights. Generally, when you think you're being procedurally just, that's mm-hmm. like if you look at that shooting that occurred with the young the young lady and the police officer, they're literally questioning whether he should have shot her. He can, because the law says that when another person has, you know, it's taken like, should you have shot that person? It's like, I'm sure in Derek, Derek Chauvin's uh, messed up mind when he's reasonably, he thinks he's acting reasonably because his policy says that he can use the amount of force that he thinks is necessary to hold George Floyd down, but he's not being procedurally just. What he's doing is just interpreting a strict line of the policy. Right. And and using that as a as a gauge, because in my personal opinion, Derek Chauvin should have been stopped years ago. Oh, because no somewhere question. along the line, he was procedurally unjust and nobody called him on it. He Multiple hid times. behind procedures. And I am certain 
that Derek Chauvin kept his knee on his neck because he has thought that he has always been able to explain it. And he felt like he could do the same thing here. And, and that was one of the factors, if you will, not all of them, but that was one of them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and you, you have to realize the new value system is your communities do have a voice protesters yeah. and the negative voice against your community is going to be something that in the near future, we are literally going to have as part of our communities. There, there is not going to be any time in the re recent near future where there's not going to be activists who are going to be questioning every single thing that police departments do. Yeah. So you have to realize that in response to them, you can either make them part of the problem or part of the solution. Now, there are some activists out there that just are not willing to listen. And I'm not talking about people like that. Right. I mean, they're, they're out there. A lot of these activists are wanting jobs and wanting money uh, and wanting the counties and cities to create positions for them uh, so that they can uh, become the advocates or the spokesperson for the people. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure that we're, we've developed ourselves yet to where we have a paid community liaison who is somebody who's not reasonable and understands what's going on and so one-sided. The fact that Correct. you represent people means you're, you're open to ideas and understanding the other side. And that you, yeah, you know, that so, you see both sides. Yeah. 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 Right. And then the next thing is without a doubt, we have got to adopt a new value system of accountability. We have start, we have literally got to start a purging of people who do not belong in law enforcement. Now, you know, we, we there just because there's a number of factors, unions and contracts and protection, it keeps a lot of people in this business who should have been out years ago. Yes. And we have to, the, the accountability is not something that is organizational alone. We have got to literally start talking about personal accountability in the, in the academies pre-hire. We got to start talking about personal accountability and, we got to have a really low bar for anybody that is not willing to hold himself personally accountable. We got to get rid of them quick. You know, it's the old adage. I like this thing at Disney where it says, hire them slow, fire them fast. Yeah. And, and we've either got to, we've either got to, and we got to figure out who these people are. And uh, accountability has got to be a big part of that. And then we've got to reevaluate our value system, what service is. Because literally, we're at odds right now with what we believe service is and what the community believes service is. Mm -hmm. And we literally have to find uh, that new ground, if you will, of, of what role does police take and what, what is our service level that we're with? What, what, do, what should we do? All right. So selectively forgetting the past. Now, that one right there, we have got yes. to forget this thing called the blue wall of silence. We got to get rid of that. Uh, in my opinion, you should you should literally adopt a thing that would say you should literally adopt a thing that would say. Let's take a short break from the show and we'll be right back. Hey, Straight Talk listeners, this is Kelly Corvin, Director of Business Development here at LHLN, just wanting to highlight one of our signature courses, Intentional Leadership. Many of you have taken that class, but many of you have not. And I just wanted to let you know that it is two and a half days of action-packed next level leadership development. 
I don't care where you are on your journey. You can be starting out as a supervisor or at the executive level. You will learn the new way to lead in the 21st century from one of the top leadership influencers, Dean Crisp. Learn more about that class, where it's being hosted this year, or request to host a class at www.lhln.org. If you see something, say something. Right. And, you know, that doesn't mean tattletaling and running. And that just means that when things are going awry, we ought to speak up and hold each other accountable. Uh, That means that, in my personal opinion, those three cops who were charged in Minneapolis, they are being charged because they did not hold Derek Chauvin accountable for what he did. Somebody should have tried to say something. I wasn't there. Uh, and if you look at the facts of that case, and I, I believe I'm right when I say that two of those cops had only been on the street for nine days out of their FTO right. program. So they weren't going to, they weren't going to step up. They, they, and, and I understand why they weren't. And I get all those facts. And I've been in that situation where I was the rookie and I didn't want to say anything, but we've got to, we've got to get, we, we've got to get, we forgot to get, we've got to forget the blue wall of silence. we got to do that. Well, and so how do you, in a paramilitary organization, how do you change that culture? I mean, do you, are, is there anything that can be learned from what the U.S. military has done that would change that and, and, a lot, and well, allow law enforcement to do? Yeah. Now, remember, I want you to know that I'm not saying that any of these are easy because if they were easy, we'd be doing them. Uh, right. They're not going to be easy. And, and in, a, in a paramilitary, and that's one of the things, too, that might need to be reclarified. Are we really a paramilitary organization? Uh, you know, well, I mean, it, we've the always been told that. Yeah, the structure is such. Well, the, the rank structure. And... Well, the, nom- the nomenclature is too. I mean, correct. Uh, you know, the yes. way we use the words and those kind of stuff is too. Mm-hmm. The second thing. I just didn't know do. if you'd given any thoughts on that. I just was curious as to how that would look going forward. But, you know, that's fine. Go ahead. The, well, rank structure has certainly got to be reevaluated in terms of chain of command. Our paramilitary chain of command, <clears throat> what we do right now is we give all the power to the top when the bottom has most of the information. And we've got to find a way to empower the bottom who has the information uh, to make some decisions. And, and that is a entirely different podcast. Different discussion, yes, with yeah. You, because literally I got ideas about that. I think it's crazy that we don't let people tweet out individual service to our communities. Like if I go out and I go to a school and I take pictures with kids, I ought to be able to tweet that, mm-hmm. you know, yet we'll give you a gun in a car and the ability to take somebody's last, but we won't let you tweet. Right. And then I know I hear all the bosses out there saying, well, well, you know, you never know what they're going to say. That's right. Because we haven't done anything to teach them what to say. Right. They don't see the bigger picture. So we got to do a better job. Gotcha. Of that. Yeah. The, the other thing we got to forget is that we're warrior guardian where that means we're warrior always guardian. Sometimes I believe we got to switch that to realize we're guardian always and a warrior sometimes. Now I, I, I can hear all the detractors out there saying, well, man, we got to protect it. Yes, we do have to protect our life. Yes, we do have to protect the life of the others. And I'll tell you something right now. I'd be willing to bet that when you turn the warrior on is about probably less than 5% of the time on the job. And the rest of the time you got the warrior, the guardian switched on. But if you're in a guardian situation, acting like a warrior, you're going to make it worse. So 
we got to really think that, you know, we got to, we, that can also be one of the value systems, but we got to selectively kind of forget that kind of stuff. Uh, we, we've got to forget that facts are first and feelings are second. You know, that's the old past, you know, we got to remember that feelings are always first facts are important and they are key and they are so vital, but you've got to address feelings early. You know, it's just yeah. like the emergency room or the doctor in surgery. They're telling you as they're making the path forward on surgery, they're letting you know what's going on. And I guarantee right. you, when you go out there, you say, man, they kept me informed. And, and what, what happens is, is that hospital experience becomes about 20 times better because somebody acted like they cared. Right. You know, and, 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 that, and that's the whole thing. Uh, we, we've got to, we got to save the good parts of, of the past, the camaraderie, the, realization that you know what there's unity and just cause of what we're trying to accomplish there's pride in being a police officer there's uh, a feeling of completeness wholeness when you do this job this job is a is not a job it's a calling i mean those things of the past where we've encouraged we got to embrace those things you know and 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 the fact that you can make a difference and we got to remember all those things and good things about our job, but we just got to forget mm -hmm. some of these things that are just dragging us down. You know, we got to selectively forget some of those things. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. the third and last thing is we have to purposely create the future. And, you know, how do we purposely create the future? Well, first of all, I believe it starts in our pre-hire. We got to start hiring the, the right people. We ha we're looking now for someone who does not exist anymore. We're looking for a 1990s candidate because if you probably look at most of our uh, job descriptions or hiring descriptions or HR people, they, they probably got the same policies they had from 1980 to 90 in there somewhere. Sure. And you're looking sure. for a 1990s candidate that does not serve well in a 2020 police department. So we're going to have to start the hiring process. We're going to have to start early and find the right people. And then we're going to have to start training them because what we're doing right now is we're just repeating a process over and over again. We're, we're looking for that same 1990s cop with the same mindset who comes out and they're really, really, really hard to train, uh, you know, in the new ways of the world. And right. so we've got to find that cop who embraces the understanding of emotional connectivity. We've got to provide ways to insulate cops from, uh, this damaging stress that they have on the job. I mean, there's just, we got to create a path forward with our new hires. And there's no doubt. We, we got to enhance our guardian mindset without a question. That's one of the things that where people have to holistically look at the whole, the whole picture of law enforcement, uh, really what it means. And, and we got to do a better job of, of when we embrace the future, we have to do a better job of giving direction to our officers to what they're really trying to accomplish. Leadership has to literally step up right now and they have to literally fill the gaps. That's the problem right now is nobody is really stepping up, giving anybody a path forward. They're only talking about reactionary stuff that we're doing based upon a very negative situation and environment. I'd be willing to bet that nationwide, that if you were to take a morale study right now, that it would probably be as low as it was in the 70s, 60s, 70s when, you know, post-Civil War, uh, not Civil War, Civil, civil rights, rights Movement. Yeah. Civil Rights, yeah, not Civil War. So, well, and you look I at mean, that. So, 
I was going to give you a chance too to talk about some of the things that you've developed with the with the um, becoming a character driven officer class that you developed, and um, I think you address some of these things because there's also the issue of the new generations and the way that they think being very different than the generations that are pretty much in the middle and upper ranks of most departments at this point, the boomers and the Xers. So I think it would be, it seems like it would dovetail really nicely with this just to provide a little bit of context for people. Well, I mean, that, those classes were created because we believe there needs to be a new mindset in law enforcement uh, based upon the guardian versus the warrior. Uh, and, and those classes were developed to give law enforcement officers a better decision-making model, like sure. when they're faced with critical situations. You know, one of the things that is absolutely certain that if you teach a police officer to react in shootings and follow policy guidelines, that that's true. You're only painting a very small picture. You have to paint more of a global picture of the impact of those things. And so a police officer has to be able to broaden their mindset to understand their impact. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't shoot or do shoot. That simply means that they have to be aware of the major impact of what's their decisions. So what I'm trying to do with that class is to give them more of a decision-making process of, of developing well, that critical Yeah, and I, but I, on the second part though, what I was saying, I think it's really worthwhile in this whole discussion to talk about, you talked some about it earlier, the linear versus the holistic thinking. But I do think we're seeing a real generational disconnect there too. And that's also playing into a lot of this stuff that's going on. Yeah. I mean, but generationally, I mean, those things are, are very difficult. I mean, that's, you know, you've got a, you've got one generation leading another generation, which is what you've always had, but you've never had one generation leading another generation who thinks entirely differently than one generation. So exactly. And the, and the interesting thing is that the newer generation of cops think more like the public does now than the older. Correct. Yes. <laughs> so you got to find a way. And, and, and one of the ways I would use with that would be, I, I would start listening to why people are leaving. If I was a police chief, there's a tendency for chiefs. And I know this because I've been there is that when a person leaves, it's okay. They're leaving. Let's do an exit interview, but we really don't pay attention to why they're really leaving but you're seeing enough people leave now that there's a pattern of why they're leaving. And, and I think you, you learn from that, you know, you find out why are people leaving? You're getting people in that used to, once you got 10 years in, you, you didn't dare leave because now you've had a long, you know, you're too long and too vested. Now you're having people considering leaving at 15 and 20 years, which is unheard yeah. of. And you, right. and you got to find out, you know, why that is, because that's not, that's, that, that's really hard. So we need to listen to them. The next thing we need to do is purposely create the future. We've got to redefine what the role of the cop is. Cop can't be everybody to everybody. He can't be everything to everybody. We can't be the dog catcher and the enforcer because when we're the dog catcher and the enforcer, there's going to be a time we're going to come out when we're going to have to shoot the dog. And that is a very difficult. That's why I said in the nineties, I was, I'm not, I was a bit, I am 1000% for SROs in schools, but we mistakenly put them in schools without very much guidance. 
because you literally can't, it's hard to bring a law enforcement environment into a school system. There are things in schools that need to be handled in a school administratively by the function of the school. Uh, and, you know, because a kid punches a kid, that's, that's the nature of human beings determining a lot of things. Now it's not right. I don't like it. And it, it shouldn't happen, but a kid shouldn't lose their whole high school career because a moment where they, you know, get into a scrap with somebody and nobody's really hurt and nothing. Now bring a gun, a knife and all those things, totally different story. Right. But I'm talking about just doing something stupid that kids do, you know, honest to God, if we had SROs in schools in the 1960s, uh, half of the people in, in society be in prison. Yeah. Cause there was fights every day and we don't want that in schools. And I understand that, but you can't literally criminalize schoolyard behavior sometimes you just can't. Right. And so, right. so we gotta, we gotta define what the role is. Uh, and you know, we, we gotta start leadership has to step up. Leadership's got to help us determine what's going forward. Uh, and our leaders need support from the communities, but they also need support from their bosses, from their councils. And everybody right now is paralyzed by what's going on. I mean, I, I saw a story in Greensboro. Um, this happened ye yesterday. It was in the news today where they have a, they were having a zoning hearing and uh, you had a, a white individual who is the zoning board person and an African-American lady who was on there and, and she was talking about, she wanted to be addressed as Dr. So-and-so who worked at UNC Greensboro. And I mean, you know, the, he, he was a bit disrespectful without question. When you watched it, she said, I want to be called Dr. So-and-so. And, and he, and he said, your name is so-and-so cause I see it on the board. She said, no, I want to be called Dr. So-and-so. And he just refused to uh, relent to her request and they fired him today. Uh, and, and this, you know, this woke wokeness, whether it's right or wrong or indifferent, we've got to realize that we've, we're walking in very, very perilous times and nobody yeah. really knows the rules now, but we have to show support for our cops. And we've got, you can't do this job without being supported. And, and chiefs need to be supportive in the way that they can be. They need to be telling officers, look, use your best judgment. Based upon the facts, we're going to do everything we can within our power. But this is a difficult, perilous time. We get yes. it. Not everybody can do this job. you got to tell them it's a thing called working trust. They have to know the lines. And bosses have to do it. But, but bosses can be positive. We don't need to be walking around our department saying, oh, my God, this is the worst time ever. We, we need to be walking around saying, you know what? We got an opportunity here to really change the direction of this profession. Yes. We got an yeah. opportunity to be better than we've ever been before. You know, you yes. got to be positive. You got to do those things. So you, it's, it's, a, it's a time when your spirit should be high, although you're cautious. But we need to really be real. We have to be authentic. And we have to paint a picture of the future being bright for our young officers uh, because without them, we have no future. And so, yes. you know, it's like we, we really, those are just some ideas. And as you said, we need to get some other folks on here and hear what some things they may have that wouldn't be working on that. So, you know, I'm sure we that will. I hope people have enjoyed this podcast. Pe Kelly, thank you so much for asking those tough questions and 
you know, your point of view is always welcomed. Uh, you're one of the smartest people I know. So thank you for <laughs> all that you that. do for us. And I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you. And uh, you know what, folks? Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I've enjoyed doing it. We got a chance to talk about some things that are really tough. And we don't ever shy away from the tough issues here. We just try to straight talk. And that's what we're doing, a straight talk on leadership. Kelly, thank you again for being with us. And until next time, I'm Dean Crisp. Thank you for listening to Straight Talk on Leadership with Dean Crisp. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can go to www.lhln.org to find upcoming classes where you can book Dean for his new class. And you can also check out his new book, Essential Leadership Lessons from the Thin Blue Line. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.